When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. So imagine stepping out of your day-to-day life and just dropping yourself into a gorgeous 130-acre natural playground for three and a half days of learning and laughing and moving your body and calming your brain and just reconnecting with people who see the world the same way that you do and just accept you as you are. So that's what we've actually created with our Camp GLP experience. We've brought together this lineup of inspiring teachers from art to entrepreneurship and writing to meditation, pretty much everything in between. And it's this beautiful way to fill your noggin with ideas to live and work better and to fill your heart and with this rare opportunity to create you know, the type of friendships and stories you thought you pretty much left behind decades ago. And it's all happening at the end of August, just 90 minutes from New York City. And more than half, actually well more than half the spots are already gone at this point. So be sure to grab your spot quickly because our final $100 early bird discount ends June 15th, 2016. After that, it goes up to full price. So you can learn more at goodlifeproject.com slash camp or just click the link in the show notes now. Everybody has this whole a quote on luck or whatever. I think it's about just being prepared for the opportunities. And I think it was timing and I was prepared. So how do you go from really not knowing a whole lot about wine to being a sommelier, the expert in wine, at Thomas Keller's French Laundry in San Francisco, which at the time is the number one restaurant in the world with one of the most admired wine collections in history? 
Well, that's the journey that today's guest, Andre Mack, took. But it turns out that was also just the beginning. From there, he went on to become the head sommelier at Per Se, which was Thomas Keller's restaurant in New York, before becoming a winemaker and opening his own company. When he decided to open a wine business, though, he didn't just want to do the same thing that so many other people were doing. He created a very provocative, almost contrarian brand that felt like it was every bit of him out into the world. And he raised a lot of eyebrows, and he's making an extraordinary company and serving people something really cool. I hope you enjoy this journey and his pretty deep insights. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. You've got this fascinating journey. We're hanging out right now on the Upper West Side of New York City, where you told me you used to live for a little while, actually, before you headed out to the BK. Mm -hmm. And right now you're kind of like sitting on top of a, we're going to deconstruct it shortly, but it's I'm sure wine empire slash graphic, like design, emerging design empire slash yeah. really, really fascinating blend of stuff that you're dancing with right now. Let's take a step back in time. Where'd you grow up actually? Where are you from? I grew up all over. I was born in Trenton, New Jersey, and I spent the first 15 summers of my life there. My mom was in the military and we traveled all over. I lived uh. in Savannah. We lived in we lived in Texas for a little bit at the beginning, then Savannah, and then Savannah, we moved to Germany, moved back. I lived in Annapolis for a little bit. I lived in Kansas for a little bit, came back to Texas, spent quite a bit of time in Texas, lived in Oklahoma, came back to Texas, Man. and then moved to California, and then California to New York. So you were the like prototypical military kid. Yeah. And you know what? I actually really liked it. No kidding. Right. I really liked it. I think that, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, oh man, that must have sucked. Right. Like, uh. you know, you traveled everywhere. You couldn't, you couldn't really make friends. And I was like, yeah, but I made, I made meaningful friendships and that was great. But I really liked the aspect of traveling hmm. and being able to start over or to nest or to like, yeah. to, to like to meet friends. And so I think that was really great. And I think that it really helps me to this day. Was your mom army, Navy? Army. Yeah. 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 Um, what did she actually do? Uh, that I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think my mom, she worked in hospital administration. Ah, no yeah. kidding. Mm -hmm. So what was, because it's interesting because I actually have a bunch of friends who grew up that way. Uh -huh. And you get to totally, there doesn't seem to be like a middle ground. Like, yeah, it was all right. It was like either yep. this was amazing or I hated it. Mm -hmm. You were on the, this is amazing side. No, it was amazing. It was truly great. I got to travel. And, and I think what made it so amazing is that I, I still spent the summers in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, so it was like rough. Yeah, uh. rough and tumble. You know what I mean? Like it was a sense of like never forgetting where you came from part of it. I, you know, that's how I became street smart. Yeah. And I got to see two different sides of, of life. Like, like if my mom never left, that's what our life would be like. And not to say that, that, you know, that anything was wrong with it. It was great, but it was just, it was the polar opposite experience of what I was, what I was having in, in these other places. Yeah. And so I felt very fortunate to be able to travel. Just take me into that a little bit more, like how polar opposite, like what was the... Well, I mean, I grew up, I mean, I, I was in Trenton, New Jersey during the crack epidemic. Yeah, because like, you know, I'm like, thinking like the time like the fellows on the corner, like Trenton my friends. Was, yeah, yeah like, it's not a good place. And I'm like, hey, why are you guys holding those tennis balls? Like, you, like there's no tennis courts around here right you know what i mean it's like they cut the slit in it to put, that's where they held all the, the crack you know so it was a lot of that stuff that like you were like oh wow like it was front and center like mm -hmm. that wasn't happening in savannah georgia you know i didn't i didn't yeah. live in a neighborhood like that and so it was just it was just different right and a lot of those people that i you know that were in trent new jersey you know they probably you know for a lot of them they hadn't even been 
outside of the tri-state area. Yeah. It was a different thing for me. It kind of opened up my world, the travel part of it, but also going back um, really kind of helped, helped me understand that, you know, I felt fortunate that I could actually travel and or was having all these other different types of experiences. Yeah. I think that's so powerful that you say that also, as I think so many people thinking about like travel to a foreign country because it'll really, it'll make you reassess yeah. and, and be grateful. And also just get a different lens on how different people are living. But I think a lot of times we, we write off actually just bop around within this country, yeah. you know, or our listeners in different countries, you know, like you may not have to go that far actually to kind of see an entirely different world. And just, but to, to get that level of regular exposure when you're younger, I think is one of the most powerful experiences that you can have as a kid. And I yeah. think my recollection is when I was coming up, that wasn't a huge focus but I kind of feel like it's becoming more sort of like trying to create kids that are a little more exposed. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, for me, I talk, me and my wife, we talk a lot about the two most important things that you can give your children is the gift of language and the gift of travel. Mm. Um, and, you know, coming from someone who doesn't speak another language, but, <laughs> and that's what we really instilled in them. I mean, we homeschool our kids because we really want them to really take advantage of living in a great city like New York and just not New York, but they travel with me outside of New York and we want them to explore their passions at an earlier age, mm. right? It's not, you know what I mean? Like our saying is don't let school get in your way of your education. All right. So now I got to, <laughs> you can't throw out the homeschooling Sorry, thing without but... me at least like exploring that on some level. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, totally. So I know, so literally as we're sitting down here, like, like four days ago, mm -hmm. you, you just, you, you added a third kid yep. to the, the family, both you and your wife work from home. Yes. And you homeschool the kids. Yes. So how does that work? Yeah. So I'm just curious. Yeah. Homeschool is a little different here in New York and this metropolis, right? So, uh, you know, I, I tell people it's a lot like college in some ways, right? There's, you know, I was just up here on 108th taking my boys to French class yesterday. Uh, and then he has a history class. One of my sons has a history class in the 40s in the basement of a synagogue, hmm. right? You know what I mean? So it's... There's days that we're out and about, and normally on Wednesdays, there's a thing called um, recess where there's about 40 to 45 homeschool kids who have recess in Central Park, right? So <laughs> they range from four it's to a four, nice playground. 14. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, it's really an interesting thing. And, and the thing is, is that if you're into something, let's explore that. You know, my kid takes a math class that's disguised as a sewing class, mm. right? And so he gets to learn practical math and he learns a skill. You know, it's kind of one of those things we kind of go through life and we feel like, wow, like, is it really important for my kid to play soccer? Like swimming is, it, you know, you can save someone's life knowing how to swim. Soccer, maybe not so much, right? You know what I mean? So we really want to teach life skills yeah. and we want them to actually be able to interact with, with other people of different ages, right? You know what I mean? I think the problem yeah. with most homeschool kids is that the adults don't know how to act, react to them, right? Because my kids look you in the eye. They oh, talk to you. They so have a vocabulary, right? It's not a – that they're like, oh, that kid's kind of off or weird. And it's like, no, because he acts more like an adult and, you know, will have more responsibility. But that's kind of our, been our thing is that the thing is, is like let's grab a hold of our children's education and let's fill it with travel and things that are meaningful for us. You know, they have a book club. It's six six children and they rotate – we rotate homes and they have – it's once a month and they, <laughs> they have dinner. <laughs> that's amazing. And discuss – the book and there's a moderator and us being the food people, you know, we try to make things or bring things that were the food. If there was a food presence in the book, 
we like something to, tied to. Yeah, yeah, we like to make that or incorporate that into the dinner. Yeah, that's, so yeah, that's so cool. And, and it is. I think there's so much, you know, the the idea of homeschooling versus the reality of, it, especially in, in a place like New York City. Mm-hmm. I think there there's a huge divide between what people think it is and what it actually is. I have a couple of friends who who homeschool their kids here also, and I was blown away by yeah. the, the truth of what it really is. And there's like there's amazing homes, like there's community and there's mm-hmm. friendships, and your kids actually dive deep into the things that fascinate them. Correct. You know, rather than sort of a rote curriculum, which is really it's so powerful in so many ways, I think. Yeah. And so, so that, that part's going on. And then, you know, I travel a lot. So I'm on the road, you know, over 200 days out of the year. You know, a typical week for me is, you know, I get on a plane that leaves JFK around 6 a.m., get to my destination. Monday's always a travel day. I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I get back on the first plane on Friday. And hopefully, Barring any delays, I'm, uh, I'm at the kitchen table having dinner with my family uh-huh. on Friday. And then, you know, Saturday, it's dance for one kid, cello for the ex kid. Sunday, I have to take out the trash and get on the plane on Monday. Nah. Yeah. That, and you're good with that? Yeah. You know why? Because I, re- I realized that it's not forever. Okay. Take me into that. Right. It's not forever. We're building something. We're, we're getting to do I'm getting to do something that I love. I get mm. to build something. And we talk a lot about that, about relationships. Me and my wife, we have some friends whose relationships aren't working and she's friends with my wife and she tells him, you know, her side of the story and he's friends with me and he tells me his side of the story. Um, but we've really come to conclusion that a lot of times it's either both of them are not happy with what they're doing or one of them is getting to do what they want to do and the other one's not. Mm. And so there's this jealousy thing there. The other person who's who feels like they're stuck in the job that they that they don't want, they can't leave because it's Yeah, they're you know, like enabling the other yeah, person totally. to go. And so there's yeah. resentment in that. And uh and to be honest, you know, it was something that I really found out about myself being an entrepreneur, wanting to be an entrepreneur. And you know, my wife, you know, getting a book deal and then, you know, all of a sudden she wasn't in the restaurant working side by side with me uh. anymore. And she was out getting to do what she really wanted to do. And I felt like, oh, wow, what am I doing with my life? And then there was some resentment. And then I understood like what that was all about, mm. right? And having an, an open conversation saying, hey, this is how I'm really feeling. And you know, and her saying, okay, let's figure out how to fix that. Let's figure out how, you, for, how for you to transition out of what you're doing and into something that you really want to do. Yeah, And that's kind of where we're at now, where we feel like we're in this really great place where she gets to do what she loves to do. And at this particular moment in time, it is taking care of our boys, educating them, and really being a thought leader for them. It's really, it's just, it's really amazing what she's been able to do with them, and really great, and she loves it. And for me, basically, I've gotten, you know, the okay to to do whatever it takes to provide for my family and to build a company. And something that I really wanted to do was was to build something that I got something that I really like, you know. And so that's. That's been really great for us right now. Yeah. And, and understanding that. And that's where, that's where it's kind of coming full circle on that also is where the idea of like, there's, there's an end game here. Cause you know, we were talking about, okay, you're okay actually being on a plane yeah. for, you know, like four days out of a week or being mm-hmm. away. And it's so interesting because I think when people think about stuff like that, they're like, okay, let me sit down and talk with my partner mm-hmm. and let's have a conversation about like, is this, are we talking about this is your life or, we're both willing to to put in this sacrifice yeah. in the name of building something to this place and you know for this amount of time mm-hmm. and if it doesn't happen in this amount of time let's let's sit down and have the conversation again and see how we're both feeling 
Yeah. No, I totally think that right. doesn't happen very often. Uh, no, I don't think so at yeah. all. Yeah. No, it's been it's it's been great because like you know on the, in the days that I'm fr- I get frustrated because you know we've been standing in the security line you know and like you've known that you have to take your coat off but you wait until you get there to take your coat off kind of thing. <laughs> it's like a classic uh, Seinfeld. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah totally. oh, oh, God. oh, and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> But I just have to sit back and realize that, you know what, I'm getting to do what I love. Yeah. And this is part of it. A little part of this is, is that I'm on here every day. I, I understand how it works. And maybe some of these people don't. Maybe they're going on vacation. Um, and so that makes me feel a little bit better. But like knowing that it's not forever. I will continue to be an entrepreneur. I will continue to build. But maybe it's less travel. But at this mm-hmm. point, I think it's great. The more I travel, the smaller my world gets in a way that, you know, I meet more people. Yeah, for sure. Connect the dots. And I become smaller. Yeah. Yeah, my world becomes smaller, more in, more in tune or more in touch. So let's fill in some of the gaps here because we've yeah. kind of been bouncing around. Because um, <laughs> all this travel is based around your current ventures. Let's kind of back up a little bit and talk about where you came from and how you got there. Okay. So at some point, you end up going to college and you end up going into the world of finance. Mm-hmm. What were you actually doing? So I worked at a place called Citicorp Investment Services yeah. uh, in San Antonio, Texas. So it was a call center. And um, you had to take a your licensed stockbroker, right? But Citibank didn't have a broker's license. So we couldn't give any advice. Yeah, yeah, no advice on anything. So we just kind of sat in a room and we gave people would call and we would give them stock quotes. Right. <laughs> so this is before the internet, right? Think about it, right? And right. so it was for Citibank, largest, largest client, you know, big bank here in New York. And I don't know if you remember, but it was right around the time that every ATM machine had a phone receiver on it. Mm-hmm. And you would pick up the phone if you had a problem. Right. And it right. would ring in San Antonio, Texas. I remember Texas. those days. <laughs> yeah. And so- the people were uh, calling you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it was one of those things. And I just felt, you know, first of all, I, I gained 40 pounds, right? It was the first time in my life I had shin splints. I was like, what is that? But I, what I really realized is that I missed the interaction with guests. I missed the connection with people. There wasn't where, where, what did you miss it from? What, where? Oh, yeah. So I worked in yeah. restaurants all throughout college and my, right. most of my adult life. Cool. And interacting with a, someone at the table. Yeah, face to face. Yeah. And it all, and it always meant that your day went differently. Like, okay, I knew I'm going to, I know I'm going to be at work. Yeah. Right. I know that I'm probably not going to be leaving early, <laughs> barring cutting off a finger or something like that. But the people that you met, there was an inter- interaction and there was, um, you know, an instant gratification of the work that you were doing. You could see a smile on someone's face. You could right. you could turn a table around who was pissed off about something. And you could do that too on the phone, but it was a little bit more frantic. Can we, can we pause on that for a yeah, second? Like, sure. Turn a table around. Okay. What do you mean by that? And tell me like what, what was the feeling? Because <laughs> um, I think that one moment is a really fascinating window. About turning the table? Like, turning a table around that's not like doing well. Like yeah, well, I mean that happens all the time. Yeah. Like, so maybe I forgot to put in their order, or maybe the chef gave their order to somewhere else. Someone's totally pissed off, or maybe maybe they didn't like their waiter, <laughs> and they requested someone new. Those were a lot of the challenges that you faced, is you know being able to 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 walk up to a table and be able to turn it on and to interact with them. And I feel like being an army brat really helped me with that. Uh, that's right? interesting. Moving around and being able to make friends easily. It kind of gave you that skill set. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that really helped. I mean, that moment is amazing training. Like Danny Myers, like, you know, renowned restaurateur mm-hmm. here in New York and um, now founder of Shake Shack and all this stuff. Yeah. But, you know, he was legendary for a maniacal devotion to customer delight. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, was one of his, his sort of main philosophies. And, and I've seen this in almost every entrepreneur that I've ever known. One of the most powerful 
things that happens as anyone who's kind of trying to create a moment of delight is that stuff goes wrong. And your ability to actually turn that into something that gives a better outcome than would have ever been possible had nothing gone wrong to start with. Correct. Like that moment is one of the the things that so many people dread. But if you view it as like this really fascinating micro challenge, like mm -hmm. how can I actually take this and like deliver an outcome that would have never even been possible had everything just gone okay? So that skill set, I think, is is astonishing and something people don't really talk about. But those are the little small challenges that you have to that you build up in your mind so that the day is not mundane. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the fact is, is that you learn from that, right? So you say, okay, well, this is what happened last time. So let's figure out how to talk to these people and do this. And this is what we normally would do. Uh, and then that didn't, you know, that didn't work, you know, and I think I've always used those things to build skills for another platform, mm -hmm. right? Like, so most people are afraid of public speaking. And for me, you know, I felt like, oh, wow, here's a chance for me to get up in front of 25 of my peers and to talk about wine, right? A lot of, you know, they, people would dread like, you know, other ways that work for me, they would dread like, hey, you do the meeting today. Like that was a point yeah. where people made people nervous. And I always felt I attacked it in a way and said, you know what, if I'm in this building, right, I could be coming to pick up my check. Yeah. But if it's time for the meeting, I want to do the meeting. Mm. And I feel like building that skill and being able to talk to people who are in it the same way that I am in it. We always talked about in the restaurant that you want to work to impress the people that you work with. Yeah. If you can blow the people that, that you work shoulder to shoulder with away, any guest that walks through the front door is blown away. Yeah. So right? I agree with that. And so that was kind of always, you know, that's the mentality that, that I've always worked with. It's yeah. like, just, let's use the platform that we have to better ourselves. So, and you're missing all of that stuff. So when you're hanging out working in the, you know, like call center for this big financial yeah. institution, you're like, mm, not getting what I need. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not at all. And I just felt like, ah, you know what? And it was one of those things like, ah, oh, you know what? Never moved to New York. I'll never move to and New York. here we are. The finance capital of the world. What am I doing with my life? And I quit and to go back to restaurants and, and trying to figure out what was next. And so yeah. I went back to re restaurants and, you know, a few years later, you know, I think I, that's when I kind of really fell in love with wine. I, most recently, last year, I was going back through and I was watching um, Frasier. Mm. Every episode of Frasier, something that we did after we put the kids together, something that we did as a as a, a unit. Mm -hmm. And um, watching it, I really, it helped me realize that I learned a lot about wine. And from my that. interest, my interest in wine really peaked and grew from watching this show. No kidding. No, totally. Uh, it was just really funny. You know, it's like, oh wow, like, you know, walking through the grocery store. It's like, do they have any sherry? Yeah, this is what these guys drink. Where's the sherry at? You know, kind of thing. And as I slowly got interested more and more into drinking alcoholic beverages or wine in general, I opened a steakhouse restaurant. You know, I, I was hired as a waiter at, at a steakhouse restaurant, and we got to taste wine, and that was when the light bulb went off. Mm. And I think in, in my mind for a long time, I was trying to figure out what I was good at, right? You know, it's like yeah. one of those things you felt like, oh, well, you know what? I was good at basketball. I had potential. Maybe I messed that up. I, I hate that word in a way where people are like, no, he's got potential. And you're just always like, oh, shit. You know, like, mm -hmm. are you living up to it? And I always said to myself, wow, I was decent at basketball. I could have done something with that. And then you think like, wow, when I'm good at something else, I'm never going to let that go. Mm. Right. And that was interesting. And, you know, I'm kind of that one of those people that it's like, 
cool, I'm bored right now. I want to learn how to play chess. So every waking moment of my life, I'm reading about chess. I'm playing chess. I'm playing chess on computers. Like, you know what I mean? Reading strategy books about it. Yeah. So it's like you latch onto it yep. and then you're just going narrow and deep. Yeah. No. And then and then it's like, okay, I'm done. I'm cool with that. I wanted to learn how to play tennis. You know, I did the same thing. I got hit with a ball and then I was like, I quit. <laughs> but, but it's one of those things where I feel it was the same way. And I came about wine and you know, I had this aha moment during a staff training where we started to taste wine side by side. And it's, and it's an element that I include now when I give tastings myself is to be able to taste wine side by side, not this, you know, you taste it in the glass, you slam it, and now you pour the new wine. You have three glasses laid out and you can vacillate between each glass and really kind of savor the nuances between all, all the wines. And, and it really helped me understand that, wow, this is all really different. And, you know, this tastes more, this tastes grassy. This smells v- more like vanilla, right? This smells like petrol or gasoline. Hmm. And that was a really, you know, that was the hook for me. Yeah. And then, you know, you realize that it's about history, right? It's about geography. It's about government scandal. It's, you know, all of those things can be told through a culture's wine, Right. Mm. And different times. And so I was really, I was hooked on that. And so I just started to study um, like day in and day out. I mean, I would drink like, you know, I would taste, you know, four or five bottles of wine in, in, during lunch in between working. Right. It was just, I was just consumed with it yeah. just every waking moment. And then I would get off of work and I'd go home and I bought this large, giant, dry erase board. And how I commit things to memory was through repetition and through writing them down. And so that's, you know, that's so you kind like of take notes and then. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, well, I'm supposed to know the Grand Cru villages of uh, Gervais Chambertin, you know, or Burgundy, you know, the Cote de And so you would, you know, so I would write them from alphabetical order, right? North to South, smallest to largest, you know, largest to smallest. You know, I just started to study and like consume all this information. Um, and the only way to really test it was to join a competition, hmm. right? And in, in that competition, I was just really trying to figure out how much I actually knew. Right. So for for you, it's like it's not so much about winning as as much as it is. Okay, let me actually see what I'm where I'm at. Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the reason why you take tests. Yeah. It's the reason why they administer tests in well, school. In, yeah. in theory, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Right. right. And so that was that was it for me. It was like and all the all the different accreditations and things they would have you take tests. And that was the big thing for me was trying to figure out how I stacked up against myself. Mm. Right. Because I'm truly competitive, but I'm only competitive against myself. Right. Yeah. You know, you know well, what I mean? It sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you've got that thing inside of you. It's like when the fire gets lit, so like there's no external competitor or motivator that will ever come close to like you just trying to burn that fire brighter. No, no totally. Uh, yeah. So what happened? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I won, I won the competition. <laughs> so I won the competition, and I think that's part of the story, not the biggest part of the story. I think I met a lot of different people on this journey, mm. and that was the key part for me, uh, getting a job. I ended up working at Thomas Keller, uh, working at the French Laundry, and then I moved to New York here to run Per Se's beverage department. Yeah, and for those that don't know, who's Tom Keller? Thomas Keller, uh, Thomas Keller is probably one of the most renowned American chefs yeah. Um, I <laughs> yeah. mean, like extraordinary. The French Laundry is just one of these legendary, legendary places in per se in New York se, is yeah. the same thing. So both of the restaurants, when I worked at French Laundry, it was considered the best restaurant in the world. Mm. And then per se is in the top 10. Yeah. I guess one of the questions in my mind is, what was the amount of time between when you kind of started up and you end up at French Laundry? I would say 
two years? To me, that sounds like an astonishingly short amount of time it's to ridiculous. go from starting up to the best, like the sommelier at the best restaurant in the world. Yep. Ridiculous. So <laughs> what gives? <laughs> um, you know, I think um, everybody has this whole uh, quote on luck or whatever. I think it's about just being prepared for the opportunities. And I think it was timing and I was prepared, right? I met all these different people around the way and having no idea that they were affiliated in any way, they were just like, hey, you know, I, I won that competition. The gentleman who won before worked at the French Laundry. After I won the regional finals, I staged, you know, I hung out at a restaurant and worked with a friend who became a mentor, but who actually hired me to work for Thomas Keller. Mm. And so, yeah, so I think it was just being prepared for those opportunities. Yeah. Right? I think that's generally what it is, is the more you're prepared and you're out there, the, you know, the timing will be right. Yeah. And, and a con consuming obsession with becoming extraordinary. At yeah, it. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, that, well, that too, right? I, yeah. think, I think that too, like you have to have the drive, Yeah, right? You have to have the, you have to put in the work, you know, everybody... Everybody talks shit and says that they do. Nah, no, right? I mean, and if that was true, then like there'd be a lot more people sort of like. Yeah, and I think, and I think um, the whole idea is like most people just don't, they just don't know what hard is. Like they in their mind that they think that they're working hard, but they're they're not. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, to each his own, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. I mean, everybody aspires to sort of like a certain place. I mean, if it meant enough, I mean, if I because I asked this about myself also, and so I'm curious. Like, it's interesting that you brought it up. It's like. You look at a lot of people and you wonder, you know, who will kind of say, well, like, I would love to be, I'm here, but I would love to be here. And, mm -hmm. you know, they'll, that, that second one is, you know, like bigger, better somehow. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of looking, you're like, well, the, you know, why are you not? And, you know, the fundamental answer for most people is some blend of fear and also just, I'm actually pretty good where I am. Like, there's no fire that's either burning them or, you know, like pulling them from ahead. Or, or they settled. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's kind of like, you know, what I love about that in, in a weird way. And I think it's, it's a little counterintuitive is that for those that make up their minds to do the work, to try and actually be in that, you know, like in the, the very best, there's so much less competition than you would actually think to be in that spot because of what it takes that if you actually endeavor to really go there, I almost wonder if sometimes it's, the opportunity is is bigger than you may think. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when you're hanging out at French Laundry and then per se, so you're basically like you're at the top of the profession, basically. Yeah. So what happens? I think you know you continue to. I would still continue to accelerate at the same pace. So for me, we talked about like, oh, how long did that take? That's two years. I still feel like, you know, I only have two years experience. Yeah. Whereas there's there's other people who work on the team who have who are younger than me and they have more years of experience. And so for me, it was always, I worked at like this two for one or three for one pace. Like for me, like I was always there. I took more, I was nine city blocks from work. Mm. I would walk to work. I was the first one at work, you know, I'd get there at seven. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where I just felt like I needed I needed more experience. I needed every day, not just to count as one day. It needed to count as two, if not three. And when I was at French Laundry, there'd be plenty of nights that, you know, I would fall asleep, like in the back, like going through, you know, cleaning out the computer system that would, you know, it'd be three, four in the morning. And it was just something that I just wanted to be around it. I wanted to understand more of it. And, and that was it. And so I continued to grow at that. Even when I moved to New York, it was the same thing. I took more showers at Equinox in the basement. 
than I did at my own apartment. <laughs> For those that don't know, Per Se is in the same building as Equinox <laughs> yeah, in New yeah, York yeah, City. Yeah. So basically what he's saying is he never went home. Yeah. And so that was, you know, that was one of the things. And so it was, and it was great. You know, at, at one point when I arrived at the French Laundry, I'd never had my sights set on New York. It was still mm. that, that yeah, same yeah. thing about like, why would I go to New York right. kind of thing? And then after thinking about it a little bit, it's like, why wouldn't I go? Right. This is all about the experience. And this is one of the most anticipated restaurant openings in New York in the last 15 to 20 years. I think I should be a part of this and decided that I would come. And so I came. And the first time I've ever been to New York was the day I got off the plane to come work at Per Se. Mm. And so, yeah. So I just, you know, I, we're, I think we're coasting along. We're working. I'm really having a really great experience three years later. You yeah. don't seem like someone who, uh, where the word coasting along is okay for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when I say coasting, I mean, there's tons of stuff happening, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, yeah, your wildest dreams, right? Your right. wildest dreams are right here in front of you, right? It's like, wow. Like, I remember I broke the spine of like his cookbook, just flipping through the pages, reading the stories, you know mm. what I mean? And then all of a sudden, like you're here and not only am I not, not just in Napa, like I'm in New York and like, I get off work, it'd be like two o'clock in the morning and I always tell him to drive through Times Square. Mm. And then, you know, at like 2.30, there's like, you know, a traffic jam. Right. right. It was it's just still crazy. this thing like, <laughs> is it real? And then I I think that I started to realize that, you know, I started to question a lot of things that like in myself, like, oh, wow, like there's all these young kids that work in the kitchen. There's like 40 of these guys. I've talked to them. I hung out with them. We drink beers to the wee hours in the morning. They all aspire to be restaurateurs, but only a handful of them aspire to be restaurateurs at the level that we were working at. Mm. And I realized it's like, you know, there's going to be a shift in dining, right? You have all these young kids that they want to do it on their own terms, right? They want to wear, you know, tennis shoes and jeans and, and listen to like Pink Floyd. They, they want to play their own music. They want to, they want their restaurant to be an expression of themselves in a place that yeah. they would eat. And you started to see that, right? I don't have to look any further than look at like David Chang and Momofuku where he yeah. had like this traditional background, but he took those skills and techniques and he applied it to street food from where he was from. And it was this cool place. And you could start to see there was a shift. And I just kept thinking, you know, I'm always thinking about what's next. And I was like, you know, I want to be closer to wine. Like now I have like a staff of four other sommeliers that work for me. I spent a lot of time managing people, which was a great thing for me and delegating, you know, that was really hard for me to delegate. That was just something that I didn't understand. You know, I had to lay on someone's sofa to figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm. You know? And, um, and so I just kept thinking like, I need to be closer to wine, right? I don't want to get to touch it in the way that I want to and all these other kind of things. And, and I felt like I wanted to be an entrepreneur, like, and definitely more so that that started to shine through as I moved to New York, just the energy of the city and the people that you met, that really started to ring home with me. And I found that I wanted to be creative. Like I've, I knew that that was something in me, you know, like graphic design. And I was doing a little bit on the side, but, you know, I was spending a lot of time at work designing, you know, the pre-shift mm -hmm. sheet for the pre-shift meeting only, you know, it was an internal memo, so to speak. And I said, you know, I need to figure out, I need to be close to the wine. I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to be creative. And I thought, yeah, you know, I should hop on the production side. So, you know, I could be closer to wine, right. By being in production, creating my own thing. That would allow me to be creative and I could go out and sell it. And that would allow me to be an entrepreneur all the while thinking of like, wow, I really want to have an impact on this industry. Like, what can I mm. do? Like, I really want to like do something. I want to be part of the larger conversation or drive it to a different place. And I remember walking through the kitchen one day and, and looking at all the chefs and saying, 
wow, you know, I, I want to make wine and I want to make wine for the restaurants that these guys want to open. Hmm. And that was it. You know, that was kind of the, the thing that kind of got me going. But also what I realized too is that you have to be moved outside of your comfort zone to really make big moves sometimes. Right. Indeed. And I think I met my wife at the restaurant and uh, she quit working at the restaurant to write a, a book about the restaurant and her life. And once the restaurant got word of that, then things became really tense. Mm. And, you know, I'd show up to a manager's meeting and my girlfriend's name would be like the second to last thing on the agenda. <laughs> and it just made it really uncomfortable. And, um, you know, then, you know, at that meeting, I was, everybody at the table was informed. All the managers were informed that she was now considered press and anybody that wanted to speak to her had to call our PR company first. And you know, it was a lot of that kind of nonsense. And I'm just kind of like, wow, this is going to make for interesting pillow talk. Um, <laughs> and it was that, you know, it's like, wow, like. That was like the push. Yeah. You're like, should I dump this broad, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or should I quit my job? But it wasn't, there was no pressure in it. I didn't really feel like I had to choose. Like in any moment I would have chose what I chose, right? It just like, yeah, okay. Like I, I'm getting used to the idea that like, you know what, it's time to move on. This is what I want to do. And that was it. And I'm a firm believer in putting it out in the universe, right? And let the universe help you and conspire with you mm. to make things happen. And that was it. You know, I quit and uh, I wrote everybody I knew saying thank you. And this has been a really great experience and I'm off to a new adventure. And, you know, my mama taught me that, you know, you use your platform that you're currently on to talk about what you want to do and put that out there. So if people want to help you, uh, and sure enough, that's what happened. So I said, I wanted to, I wanted to make wine. I was off to go make wine and people started to respond saying, Hey, you know, we normally sell this fruit to, to so-and-so, but we much rather sell it to you. And oh, so it was actually the people who were like who were making the grapes and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. it was like everybody, everybody I had ever worked with. So whether it be, you know, distributors, suppliers, right. winery people, you know, just basically saying, thank you for time. It's been great. I'm off to the next chapter of my life. This is what I'm going to be doing. And, uh, and it kind of just unfolded from there. And then realizing that like by not being a buyer and quitting my job, I didn't have any more leverage. Right. right? No one <laughs> wanted to do shit for me. Right. Right. You know, before, like I could have had someone like, you know, like babysit. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. like a great restaurant. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so I realized that, wow. I had lost all the leverage that I had. And sure enough, you know, people just started to respond. It was this, I mean, it was this, this really great thing where you're like, cool, thanks, but I don't have any money. And they're like, don't worry about it. Mm. What pay, was it? Pay us when you sell it. I was like, really? She goes, yeah. And I says, she goes, let us know when you want to pick it up. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about it. I don't have a place to make it. <laughs> and then at that point, she's like, what are you doing? But that was it, right? People were so generous with their resources and their time and everything that like I had to bootstrap this thing together. It wasn't like I went out and wrote a business plan and like went out and got investors and said, I'm going to pay myself X amount of dollars. Like yeah. there wasn't this comfortable transition. You yeah. know, it was really, you know, hand to mouth for a few years and really, you know, really hard and really said a lot. You know what I mean? It was like you're at your spouse's, you're at wit's in and you're like trying to figure it all out. And you know what I really realized? Like, your spouse is supposed to believe in you. <laughs> she believes that they, that person believes in you. But it's really interesting. You can actually see the moment that they that they really believe in you, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Like I they believe they mean, they they yeah. believed in you. You know, and they said what they needed to say because they believed in you. But like when it, the next level hits or when it takes off, and when you you can see when they're like, 
Yeah. I had faith in you. I knew you could, you had potential. I knew you could do it, right? And so, yeah, that that was kind of how it started. And so it was kind of like couch surfing wherever I could get extended terms or no terms or, or whatever. Right. That's how it was. And so it was, you know, I had stuff scattered all on, up and down the West Coast. So you're like growing in different places and yeah. So we didn't Coast. do we didn't do any growing. We were we just bought from vineyards oh, okay. uh, that we trusted, like the right. same people, the same people who we bought their wine and from the vineyards from for the restaurants that I bought for. Right. And so it was kind of like that. It was kind of like couch surfing, figuring that out. And and you know, obviously, so there was no capital to really travel the country. So it's like out there, and then I would come back to New York. And then sell the wine in New York. And so basically we kind of started in the East Coast and started to move our way back to the West Coast, even though that's where the wine was coming from. How do you – we could go like way off the deep end of like a mechanics of you know, like the winemaking business, but I don't think I want to go there. Okay. But but, right. I, but I'm curious about one thing, which is that – so all right, you tap into this you know crazy community of people where you've built deep relationships with over a long period of time and they rise up and help you out and that's mm-hmm. awesome and you're basically – you're picking from vineyards where you've developed long-time relationships and then you create your own brand, Mouton Noir mm-hmm. was the name of it. But when you come back to New York, how do you break in and then get people to sort of like try your wine and to start to sell your wine? I mean, is it all, I would imagine there's a lot of giving it away. Um, no. No. I, I, could, I really? couldn't give it – well, what you have to understand is that those people were my peer group. Right. Those are all the friends that I hung out with on the weekend or late at night. Right. They all ran – the best wine programs. Right. In the so city. you had like that was part of your yeah. Yeah. So right. I mean I had some leverage in that part of it to the say, hey, you know what, I made this wine. I would love for you to check it out. I'd love for you guys to support it. Right. You know, and uh, you know, it worked. You know, I could get meetings that, you know, that one of the owners of Best Buy couldn't get, right? <laughs> you know, right. you know what I mean? Like right. who got into the wine business. Because those those, you know, I had access to those people. Those people right. were, you know, acquaintances or yeah, friends. Yeah, so it was like years of building that up. You also did, I mean, it was really interesting because, you know, when you look at actually, you know, the the brand that you created, mm-hmm. when most people think of wine, they think kind of like very classic looking, yeah. and these stuffy labels with lots of swirls and <laughs> thin, you know, like fonts that swoop around and yeah, have yeah, trouble totally. reading. <laughs> it's literally, it almost feels like with your all of your branding and your design, you were mentioning earlier, you kind of geek out on the design side too. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we share that in common, but it almost feels like you looked at like everything that was out there and said to yourself, What's the exact opposite of this? Well, you know, it's you know, it's really interesting. I was telling this story the other day. Is that I grew up in an era where you, when you would go to the grocery store, there was a generic aisle. I don't know if yeah. they had that here. Like you would go on a part they, of the aisle, uh, yeah, yeah. And it was before like grocery stores got got hip to marketing. Like right. now they ha- they create their own brand, you know, like right. Shady Farms or whatever it is, and you know, and they have like real packaging. Yeah. And it's a store brand. Before they didn't have that. It was it was called you know it was a generic owl like right. you just knew it was the generic owl and everything was white so potato chips were in a white bag and it just said potato chips on it and beer was in a white can it said beer on it and I remember that and I remember we went to a friend's house in ninth in eighth grade and he had a party at his house when his parents were out of town and we were all like looking for something to eat in the cabinets and it was just a strange thing that he had a name brand of everything and then he had a generic of everything and he was telling me he says no when my dad goes to the store he gets the generic and then when my mom goes to the store she got like the peanut peanut pan <laughs> peanut butter right. and so i just always remember how stark that aisle was but also the message was you know kind of the thing is it's like let's take the packaging out of it 
right? How about we spend less money on packaging and more money on the wine that's inside? That too. And then also like trying to find my style as a graphic designer. Like, you know, for me, it was kind of like a last minute decision to do it that way, right? Just saying, you know, you know what? We're going to call it other people's Pinot and we're going to put OPP on the front. It's going to look like my three-year-old kid did it. And I think that invokes a playfulness in it. I think it taps into an emotion. You look at that label and that makes you think about it more. You want to stand out. And so it's pretty stark. Yeah, you know? it definitely stands out. Yeah, I mean, when you look at your labels, if you're, I mean, if you're in a wine store, I'm sure you're scanning, it's just like, that's going to jump out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah and, yeah. and, you know, so people, it's engaging in that way. So people are engaged and it's supposed to make you feel a certain way. You know, I, mm. and, and the thing is, is that I couldn't bring myself to put Andre Mack winery or Andre Mack wines, because what does that mean to anyone? Right. And right. so for us, we decided that we would give them the, the wines their own fantasy name and use terms and use things that they evoke emotion in people and that people would understand. And, and let's use a bold graphic. So, you know, something like love drunk can mean a lot of different things to people, but it definitely grabs your attention. Right. Right. Whereas if it just said Andre Mack, you're just kind of like, yeah. who, who's <laughs> that guy? Right. And that's it. And I think. There's some sarcasm in it as well, right? It's kind of, you know, it looks over-marketed, but it's supposed to. You know, it's a way for me to kind of thumb my nose at the establishment. Yeah, and, and the name of, I mean, the company itself too. Like, yeah. I mean, Mouton Noir translates to... Black Sheep. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think like that gave us creative license to do things uh, differently. Like, I mean, we would totally be ruining the name if we didn't. Yeah. And so the whole idea is to look at things differently. And and I felt like throughout my whole journey that I couldn't really be who I wanted to be because that wasn't fitting for the place that I worked in, so to speak. Right. You know what I mean? And then right. all of a sudden, like when I had my own company, that's something that I I wanted to include all the different parts of my life. Right. You know, yeah. I'm I'm a kid who grew up on hip hop and skateboarding and punk rock. Right. And music plays a big, it's a big element in my life. Like, you know, my kids have Pavlovian, right? When I play, you know, Hall of Notes, we play, we listen to Hall of Notes every, every night for dinner. Right. <laughs> and um, I swear to God, it's taking me back. <laughs> it's so good. And my, you know, my kid's like, Daddy, what's a man eater? <laughs> it's like, eat your corn. Um, yeah, for you guys listening who don't know Hall of Notes, just go listen. <laughs> You may um, never listen again after the first time, but you got to hear it at least once. But you know, music is is such a big thing, and it's it was really funny. I mean, I worked at the when I worked at Per Se. I mean, I think they they all thought something was wrong with me because I always had earbuds on, always. Like my parting gift when I left, they gave me a pair of headphones. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> and now it's nothing for everybody to have headphones on because that's part of your phone, yeah. right? It was really interesting. So music plays a big part, and just lifestyle. Like you know, I think you know, Mouton Noir is about embracing what makes you different and using it to your advantage, right? Definitely, as I grow older, you're starting to see everybody starts to tr want to kind of fit in and what truly makes you unique is is being you and you should use that. Yeah, and what's interesting too is that you also, on one level, it's you bringing, like integrating all the parts of you into the brand and into the product that you're actually sharing with other people so that they can enjoy what's inside the bottle. Uh -huh. But at the same time, the branding that you use, when somebody who bought that bottle or a restaurant that serves that bottle puts it out on the table, it's set, without anybody opening the bottle, it immediately says something about them too. So it's like you're you're mm -hmm. transmitting, and also it's almost like you're you're starting a little bit of like a you know like a movement where it's like if this is cool with you, raise your hand, mm -hmm. you know, and then turn it around and show other people, and it will provoke an action. 
Like yeah, somebody's yeah. going to see the, the label and they either think it's really cool or funny or interesting or really not like it. Yeah. yeah there's, there aren't going to be a lot of people that see your branding and be like, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's either, <laughs> Which it's is a good either, thing. Yeah. It's either or. I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. You put it out there. Yeah. And you let, you let the people decide. And yeah, I went to uh, stop by a restaurant not too long ago and the maitre d' pulled me to the side and he's, I was introduced to the maitre d'. He's like, oh, this is the OPP guy. This is the guy who makes this wine. And he pulls me to the side and he says, you know, I have to tell you, man, I've been in this business for 15 years and um, I'm astonished by the amount of photographs people take at this bottle. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, I got a couple corner seats at the bar for you. You know, I was going to grab a drink with a friend. And then he came over and he says, hey, man, this table over here just ordered a second bottle of your wine. And I just told him you're in the house. Do you mind going over there taking a picture with him? I was yeah. like, sure. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole idea is, is to evoke some type of emotion. I mean, and I think that's, to me, that's what wine, wine is about savoring moments, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't want my wine to be considered the centerpiece of your table. It's a condiment, right? It's supposed to make everything that you do better, like, you know, more enjoyable, right? It's like the background music. You know, it's supposed to make conversation with friends better, dinner nah. better, a book that you're reading better, music that you're listening to better. I don't feel like I need to be center stage. It has to be center stage or it's something that should be worship. It's just a, it should be something that's a condiment to your life to nah. make your life better. And that's always kind of been the goal. We wanted to make, you know, food-friendly style wines that were transparent and honest that belonged on your table. Yeah. And that you should drink one, and it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's two buck chuck, um, <laughs> but it's a it's it's a lifestyle, and the fact that it's not you know it doesn't have to, you know I don't have to wear an ascot <laughs> to be able to appreciate wine. Yeah, I picture you as an ascot guy. Yeah, yeah, um, and you don't have to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I totally get it's it. It's just one of those things, and I felt like um, you know I feel like every day that I walk into a shop selling my wares or representing my company, you know I challenge the status quo. You know, I'm for a lot of people, I'm the last person that they, that would walk through the door that they would ever think knew anything about wine. And that's empowering. And that that's great. And that's a great feeling. It's just been really fun adventure to see what that looks like. And then and then also to be really to like to build something. Yeah. Right. Like you just, you know, you look up every now and then. You know, I'm not a person who celebrates small victories. It's just I can't live in the past. Right. I just I just can't. And so and the weird thing about me is, is that it's it's the next one, right? It's like, hey, you know what? You should have had me on the show two years ago, right? That's that's just my mindset, right? Like, or like if Oprah ever said to me, it's like, hey, did you ever think when you worked at Red Lobster that you would ever be sitting on my sofa? And I'd be like, hell yeah, I did. I just had to prove it to everybody else. Mm. And that's no disrespect to, to you or to, to her or to anyone else. That's just how I'm wired. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I want to do this. Let's keep moving. All right, so that brings up an interesting question. I saw a piece where you were interviewed in uh, Wall Street Journal not too long ago, and they were talking to you about, uh, I guess one of your goals was to do a million dollars with the company. Time for, yeah, 40, and yeah. then uh, Which you did. And then the conversation wound around, well, like, you know, like how much is enough? And the answer was kind of like, there's never enough. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think at some point you turn your attention to something else. Yeah. And I think for me, it's been one of those things where – you just, you want it to, I want it to work in a place where I didn't have to worry about the other stuff that I worried about when I was 25. And those are the things that, you know, being financially stable kind of, you know, I think that's a big thing for everybody, right? It's like, okay, now well, do I pay my car bill? Do I pay my rent? I like those kind of things. And I always wanted to be in a place where I didn't have to worry about any of that. Hmm. Right. And, and I think that getting to a place like that, could allow me to really focus and allow me to be creative and allow me to really be able to to build my company 
it's all or nothing, right? I mean, like I could, I didn't even do laundry. I haven't done laundry in like eight years, right? Because I would drop it off at the door, you know, I'd drop it off at the Chinese shop over around the corner, the cleaners, and, you know, they would wrap it up and fold it in a pretty bag and it would be with my doorman, right? Like I just gave everything I had to be fully present to be right. able to work. And the same way now, right? I give everything. So what's, I want to kind of come full circle. What's the trigger then coming back to our earlier conversation where you're on a plane on Monday and like back on a Thursday, what's in your mind, what's the trigger when that stops? I'm always going to be going. It doesn't matter that I'm not going to be traveling anymore no. and, or what that looks like or why I would stop. You know, I, I've, I've always said, okay, you know what? Let's give it, you know, 72 months. I'm going to go really hard. I'm going to go as hard as I can. And let's see what it looks like then. But I'm always going to be, you know, whether I, at that point, we decide to like say, hey, you know, I'm not going to travel as much. I'm going to turn that over to someone else. Or, you know, I sell the company or whatever. But like, I feel like I'm going to always continue to push. You know, and I think a lot, a lot, you know, it's about legacy. I want my life and I want my work to mean something. I think it's just that simple. Like, I just really want it to mean something. And hopefully by putting myself out there and helping other people that that kind of resonates and being, you know, being an inspiration to some people. And the biggest thing when I tell people, when I say that to people, it's like, I hope you meet me and think that I'm nearly not that intelligent and ask yourself, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it? Right? Because that's the question that I ask myself every day. Mm. Right? I said, wow, if that guy's getting it, how come I can't get it? Right? No disrespect to that person, but it's like, hey, I can do that. Well, why not me? How come I can't do that? Yeah. And that's been that's been the biggest driving force. Yeah. I mean to to be able to wake up and move into the world with that lens of possibility is an astonishing gift. I'm not many to, people have it. I'm starting to realize that people really think I'm crazy. I remember yeah. I was I was walking down the stairs in our house and uh I had an idea. I was like, Wow, like I've been torn around with this idea of doing a wine coloring book. And I, halfway down the stairs I was like no, it's got to be chefs. We got It's got to be food driven. And I yelled downstairs to my wife and she's like, what? I can't hear you. And I turned right back upstairs and shut the door to my office. And then two weeks later, I'm done. <laughs> I made the coloring book. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm a guy of like, I'm going to show you proof of concept. Right. Because I already know what will happen is, is that I'll present this idea and, and someone will say, no, that's not yeah. it. That's not it. I want to see it from start to finish first. Show you that there's a proof of concept. Do it. So I can learn the business and then next time around, I'll let someone else do it. Yeah. You and I are wired so similarly. That yeah. way. I'm, like, I'm like, I have like all these ideas and I'm like, there's certain ones I'll just throw out there, yeah. but then they're the ones that are actually really close to me or I'm yeah. like, uh, no, I'll just like, let's give it a month. I'm just going to, I don't show you when it's done and ready yep. to actually, because at that point you'd be like people, I think very often we look for that, you know, permission for the concept when nobody's going to give you permission especially for stuff that's just kind of in your head where like if you actually show them, you know, like, well, here it is. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, oh, I get it. They don't give you permission for so many reasons. A, like nobody gets to give you permission anyway. It's got to come no. from the inside out. But but also uh, what I've learned, I'm a hypervisual person. Okay. Um, you and I also shared just sort of like a, a deep geekery around design. Yeah. I've done all of our own design work for years and years and years. 
And what I've realized very often is that like, I can see it clearly in my head, mm -hmm. but I can describe it all day long. And until I actually like do it and get it visually out there in the world and put it in front of somebody, nobody's going to actually understand. I'm like, starting to feel that way too. What this yeah. really is. Yeah. So I'm just like, nah, I'm not going to tell you. I'll, <laughs> I'll see you in a month. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to have something cool for you like that. Let's bring it around full circle also because I think it feels like the right place. So the name of this is Good Life Project. So if I offer that term out to you, to live a good life, what comes up? To do what you love and to be where you want to be. I don't have to, I, I guess I'm a big authority guy, right? Like, you know, not to answer to anyone, but to inspire everyone. Answer to no one, inspire everyone. I mean, it means several different things to me. I mean, the good life means like having the time to read the New York Times from cover to cover, to make him risotto. I believe in process and things that take, you know, that takes time, right? You know, the, I believe in that the ultimate luxury is time. It's something that you can never get back. And being able to choose what you do with your own time and being in charge of that, to me, is the good life. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, thanks so much for listening. We love sharing real unscripted conversations and ideas that matter. And if you enjoy that too, and if you enjoy what we're up to, I'd be so grateful if you would take just a few seconds and rate and review the podcast. It really helps us get the word out. And you can actually do that now right from the podcast app on your phone. If you have an iPhone, you just click on the reviews tab and take a few seconds and jam over there. And if you haven't yet subscribed while you're there, then make sure you hit the subscribe button while you're at it. And then you'll be sure to never miss out on any of our incredible guests or conversations or riffs. And for those of you, our awesome community who are on other platforms, any love that you might be able to offer sharing our message would just be so appreciated. Until next time, this is Jonathan Fields signing off for Good Life Project. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.